When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today I wanted to take some time to talk about this article that was recently posted over on Kitco titled First the Fed, Now Government Debt to Drive Gold Prices Higher, Bloomberg Intelligence. And I kind of want to expand upon this, give you guys some more details on, on what's going on here. This was written by Niels Christensen, but it's talking about a, a uh, I guess, a prediction, um, some some analysis that that was uh, made by this guy a guy by the name of mike mcglone senior commodity strategist at bloomberg intelligence which is sort of the the research arm or wing of of uh of bloomberg which now you guys know that that i would consider myself kind of part of the the alternative financial media and, and oftentimes i criticize the mainstream financial media cnbc uh bloomberg etc sometimes i get things right sometimes i don't but oftentimes i just don't paint the whole picture um and and I think he, he does a decent job of kind of painting the whole picture here. This is a guy that appears on Kitco from time to time in, in their interviews and whatnot. Um, and so so I you know I have to tend to agree with what he's saying here. I don't always disagree with everything uh, the the mainstream financial media says. You know what what really bugs me oftentimes is when it's a constant cheerleading effort to to drive up the markets or to get people to to buy into that. Or you know what I see a lot of times. On, on on places like CNBC or something, if is if they do bring up gold, if they do bring up silver, well, the the, the way that they always mention like getting exposure to it is either mining stocks, which have some merit, or you know buying GLD, buying SLV shares, right, buying the the paper product rather than the physical product, and it's really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh, when, when you consider the real reasons for, for buying uh, silver and gold in the first place. The whole idea of if you don't hold it, you don't own it. That really holds true if you want true it to be a true hedge. If you want price exposure, and that's it. If you're just running a portfolio, sure. But you know the idea of physical gold, physical silver... Uh, it's not something a lot of these mainstream people kind of buy into. In fact, you know, before I continue with this, I was actually watching an interview recently on Kitco, and it was uh, Kevin O'Leary, right? They call him Mr. Wonderful. He's got his own uh, fun. He's got what he calls O shares, like O apostrophe shares, uh, which is kind of a play on the whole I shares. It's an Irish play on it or something like that. But uh, he, he was talking about his own portfolio and his exposure to gold. And, you know, there's a lot of debate out there among, you know, these mainstream guys, these portfolio managers and whatnot of, of how much should they expose, uh, how much should they weight, uh, you know, gold in their portfolio, 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%, etc. And should that change over time? Well, he had it at pegged at 5%. Which and he says, you know, he 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 reweights that every you know quarter or periodically or whatever, which isn't a huge weighting, you know, compared to to maybe what you and I would would choose. I guess if we were in that position. But what I found really interesting, what he says is, you know, what I, I put five percent into gold. But what he does is he doesn't just go out and buy five percent of his portfolio's value in GLD shares. No, what he does, what he's been doing is he buys you know roughly five percent of it in physical gold and has it stored. He pays for the storage. 
physical gold. I mean, uh, for a portfolio manager, you can't you know just have the gold in your house or something. And so, I mean, as far as that goes, that's about the best you can do as far as uh, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Well, he's holding it. He's he's having it delivered. He's having it stored five percent. And then he says, you know, for the reweighting because obviously one of the one of the I guess problems with uh, physical gold in terms of of being a portfolio manager is the storage and the shipping and all that. He says when he needs to rebalance it, then he uses GLD for that. And I think that's a a pretty happy medium given you know what he has to deal with. Um, so the idea of you know physical gold, physical silver is is not unheard of, and it's not an impossibility for for these types of guys. But anyways. Bit of an aside there. I'm not even getting too far into this article yet. Um, I just wanted to talk about that. I, I found that very interesting. Anyways, he's talking about you know the patient Federal Reserve. Obviously, this last week we've seen a big rally in in silver and gold on the back of the Fed talking about ending quantitative tightening, ending their rate hiking cycle, essentially their tightening cycle, pausing um, and and basically saying. You know, we could go either way with our, with our next move to to the to the tighter side or to the looser side, easing or tightening. So, obviously, that has sent silver and gold higher. But he's talking here about government debt, which you know, for a long time, I've said, you know, if you want, you know, as as a U.S. citizen or, or wherever you might live, if you want, you know, rock solid reason to own silver and gold over the long term, look no further than the national debt. Look no further than debt as a whole throughout the entire you know economy and the world economy. This is not specific to U.S. Right? This this is true for for many other countries. Now there's a different picture in Canada or Australia or the U.K. than the United States, but the truth of the matter is that sovereign, consumer, corporate debt, all of that has increased significantly. You know, in the last ten years, and it's not going to end well. Right? Debt can continue. You know, to some. You know, in theory indefinitely but obviously that the value of the money is going to go down in line with that and that's kind of what he's talking about here about the the focus on the u.s budget deficit and the peaking dollar um and he's he's you know really looking long term here i think you know if you do want to look short term at u.s debt you know we have that big debt ceiling uh debate coming up here in march and, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes given the recent shutdown uh, potentially another shutdown overall just partisanship within washington but long term again this u.s budget deficit and the overall u.s debt of almost 22 trillion dollars is an extremely bullish uh a factor for gold and silver going forward in fact you know i talked about this earlier this week uh the cbo uh, talking about how the U.S. is expected to increase its debt by $12 trillion between 2020 and 2029. Um, the increase in debt is a result of more spending and slower economic growth. In fact, I even picked that apart and I talked about how, you know what, I think $12 trillion is is pretty uh, conservative estimate because obviously they don't factor in things like a recession and recessionary spending and decreased revenues. He also talks about the ratio of the per ounce uh, gold versus the S&P 500 index and how it appears to be in the early days of recovery from its you know recent peak. I'll show you a chart here in a second. Gold is recovering from levels versus the S&P 500 last seen in 2007, just prior to the global financial crisis. Now, actually what I have here is a Dow to gold ratio, which is not usually what I look at more. I guess I could have brought up the S&P 500. In fact, I didn't even realize that he was out talking S&P. I just am so used to talking about Dow uh, to gold ratio that, that uh, there's sort, sort of a mental disconnect there. But you know that, that they're pretty similar here. In fact, we could... We could look at, um, let's see here, SBX to gold, and you'd see a pretty similar picture here, almost a mirror image. So, so a lot of people focus on 
the Dow to gold ratio anyways. Uh, but as you can see, you know, it, obviously it was very high in the early 2000s. But since then, it's kind of peaked out. It would appear over 22 uh, back in, around the highs in 2018 when gold was very low and, and the stock market was, you know, hitting all-time highs. And since then, it's come down below 20. But to really put this in perspective, look at the lows back in, in 2011 or even back in 2008 when the stock market had, had was kind of crashing back then. You know, we're talking around 7, you know, as low as, as below 7 to 1. Now, in, in current terms, if you're looking at the Dow Jones, uh, the Dow Jones is around 20, what, 25,000. Um, and so, you know, seven to one for 25,000 would be a little over $3,000 for gold. Obviously, though, I think before, you know, as this comes up, we're going to see two things happen. We're going to see gold go up and the Dow come down. And so even if the Dow went to 21,000, you know, seven to one would be 3,000. The Dow went to 14,000. You know, seven to one would be two thousand for gold, and so you know, I I, I I tend to agree that that this overall trend is is reversing um, to the downside, and and I think this is you know uh, why I talk about so often about gold and silver being a bit of a you can almost think think of it as as dry powder to some extent. You know, we we talk a lot about the gold to silver ratio and going back before between those two metals, but if you are a fan of stocks, you know, holding out for the long term, um, you know, had you you know bought gold. Back then, you know, sold stocks, bought gold then, and then waited it out until you know it was around seven to one, below seven to one ratio. Uh, you can get a lot of shares, um, you know, per ounce of gold at that point, uh, of various you know very good stocks. And so, um, n- not to say that there's there's a stock market is always going to go up, but there is something to be said for owning stocks. It's just that you know, in my opinion, obviously, none of that should be taken as a financial advice. Just looks very overvalued right now. Uh, but I also wanted to build on what he was talking about there in terms of debt levels. And I wanted to kind of help you guys visualize this. This is from the Fed, the St. Louis Fed, actually. Um, they, they put out some actually pretty good charts regarding um, debt. Uh, we, this is a, I wonder if we can edit this to a, a quarterly. Maybe not. Then that's fine. We'll keep it at annual. Uh, but basically, what this shows is the annual um, debt to, or sorry, deficit to GDP ratio, okay? And so what, what you see here is obviously that we had the surplus back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and since then, you know, deficit spending went up on the back of, of, of uh, two, two new wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, plus other you know, foreign conflicts. And we had the big Great Recession, a huge drop in the deficit to GDP ratio. And since then, it you know kind of came up in 2015, but since then it has been moving down. In fact, by 2018, you know I, I think we're going to continue to kind of see it move off in this direction, slowly to the downside until we kind of hit another uh, a rough patch for the economy, another major recession. Uh, but but the reason I talk about this is that, you know, something like a debt to def- or deficit to GDP ratio of something like 1%, right? Uh, 2% um, is not... It's not good. I don't. I don't think, especially with where our country is right now, um, to constantly growing more debt. Uh, but there's something. There's a such thing. I think as a reasonable, reasonable pace to where you know, yes, debt is increasing, but so is the GDP, and so it's not as bad as negative. But but what really is bad is when you have GDP really stalling out or even strong growth, right? Um, 
or or contraction, whatever it is, but you have the deficit to GDP really blow out. And and you know, the, I think a big part of, of what we have to understand about what he's talking about here about the government going to government debt really driving gold prices is the next big move down in here in the deficit to GDP ratio. 10%, you know, that was almost 10% in 2009 of the total GDP. Today, you know, with the GDP around, you know, 20 trillion, uh, that'd be something like a two, you know, ballpark numbers, $2 trillion deficit, about double what we have right now. In fact, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we got closer to 12, 15% deficit to GDP ratio in this next uh, slowdown. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw two and a half, three trillion dollar deficits for maybe one year there. Um, and of course, a, a lot of, of, of additional deficits beyond that. Um, and, and you can kind of also see it here. This is a total uh, uh, debt to, to GDP ratio. Uh, you know, as of late, I mean, it's, it's not looking that bad. In fact, it's come down slightly as a quarter of three, 2018. It's not even at its high of around 105%, right? We're around 104%. It's probably, you know, moved up since then. But it's not looking that bad. It's going about steady right now, a slow slope up. But what you got to be careful about is the next recession. I mean, yes, things like tax cuts, infrastructure spending, uh, et cetera, you know, those other big spending projects overall just, you know, constant growth of the u.s government obviously that's a concern but this recession i think is we're, we're going to see an explosion of spending and a huge drop in revenues again I, I think i've showed you guys this in the past to put this in perspective quarter one of 2008 64.4 percent debt to gdp ratio so what was that quarter one by quarter one of 2009 we're already up to 77 Right, almost a 13% increase when you look at you know decimal points there. By quarter one of 2010, we're up to 86, almost 87%. By quarter one of 2011, we're up to 93%. And then it starts to slowly moderate, you know, as we move out here. Um, and I think part of this was was due to to uh, the Fed and their QE and their uh, monetization of debt in order to to I think you know keep down interest rates and to to um, stop the bond market from totally imploding. Uh, but, you know, that's the other piece here is that even if you look at this, this is going back to 1990, um, the debt to GDP ratio here, uh, which which was able to, you know, somewhat come down during the, those times of surplus and, and strong growth in the economy before ultimately exploding here. You got to understand that this trend line from roughly 50% all the way to over 100% in the last almost 30 years here, this is the type of environment that we've been in. Okay, going back to, and, and this chart doesn't even show up, but even going further back, what this is is the yield on the 10-year uh, government, U.S. government bond. Okay, so as a whole, since 1990, you know, if we look at the beginning of 1990 here, um, we're talking yields in the 8% range, right? By the mid-90s, you know, even during the spike here, they were only around 8%. You know, by 2000, we're talking even at the higher levels around six and a half percent, but at the lows, you know, four and a half percent. Early two thousands, we're talking three and a, you know below four percent. And today, you know, even as late as um, uh, you know two thousand twelve, or even uh, you know the middle of two thousand sixteen, we're talking below one and a half percent on the ten year yield. And so, so why am I showing you guys this? You got to understand that this huge increase from fifty to one hundred percent in about twenty eight, twenty nine years, roughly twenty eight years. You got to understand that that has been in a falling interest rate environment. Okay? And so what happens 
if this continues to rise, if total debt continues to rise, this blows out here and you end up with rising rates. And you've already seen this, you know, the, the bottom back in 2016. Yes, rates have come down from where they were, which is like over 3.2% on the 10 year, right? They're, they're in between, you know, they're, as you can see right here, just shy of 2.7%, you know, as I'm recording this, you know, but even at 3%, it's, it's a breaking of this downtrend, this very powerful downtrend that ultimately I, I consider to be maybe the largest bubble out there right now. And this has really been what has enabled the massive growth in the U.S. economy, um, uh, as well as the debt in the economy. Uh, th this is, you know, when we talk about 0% uh, interest rate policy at the Fed and how those lower interest rates stimulated the economy over the short term, well, look at this. And look at what this means for debt at the consumer, at the corporate, and at the U.S. level, at the government level. Uh, this has enabled rising, rising deficits. But what happens when that trend line is broken and it, it, it was broken pretty soundly and it's been above that trend line for quite a while now. Even if it stays at 3%, that's incredibly dangerous. I mean, 3% of, of 20 trillion is what? 700 billion a year, I think. Somebody can check me on that math. 14, uh, sorry, maybe I'm totally off on that math. Three, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not good at mental math while I'm talking here. Uh, maybe that's 600 billion a month. Uh, somebody can do the math on that. It's a lot, okay? What happens if it blows out to 4% or 5%, you know, even up to 4%. But again, even if it goes sideways between 2 35 3.5%, um, which I don't think it will, I think we're going to have to go higher unless the Fed monetizes a ton of this debt and, and allows inflation to run crazy. Uh, that's unsustainable, right? That is That really puts into perspective that that this is, is going to blow out because of just how expensive it will be to service that debt. So um, I think he's got it spot on, you know, for all my criticism of, of the mainstream financial media, you know, it's not to say that they're all bad. You know, I, I, I've talked about some other ones in the past, uh, Bank of America, what's his name, Michael Hartnett holds a very alternative viewpoint on a lot of this. So um, pay attention to this. Obviously, this is one of the more bullish reasons to own silver and gold over the long term. For those of you guys that are like me, that are looking at potentially a 10, 20, 30 year horizon. Watch this type of stuff. So as always, um, thank you guys for, for watching this. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video and God bless.